0: We remain standing now, as we read together God's word from the book of Luke, chapter 19, as Jesus enters Jericho, let us read these words together. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Today marks the second week of our sermon series, Christ for a Change. Uh, if you want to pull out your sermon notes, so I invite you to do that. It has the scripture on one side and the blank side on the other, so you can fill in your notes from the uh, word this evening. I hope you would take those home and consider those throughout the week. We are in our second week of our sermon series, Christ for a Change. As we are in the month of January in a new year, uh, many times we make new resolutions that don't necessarily stick. So, what would it look like if we actually chose Christ for a change? What would it look like if we invited Jesus into our lives to dwell and live among us, that when others look at us, they wouldn't see us, but they would see Christ living in us? Well, that actually might be a drastic change from our normal everyday lives. This is our second week. Last week, um, I asked, what was keeping us? We read the story of the Ethiopian eunuch and Philip having a conversation and the eunuch asking the question, what would keep me from being baptized? And I asked you to consider developing a dependent relationship on Christ, and to consider what would really keep us from that relationship, whether it was trust or dependence or reliance upon him. This week, the question is a little different, because we know that inviting Christ into our life makes a change. The question is, what exactly does it change? This week, the thing we 're talking about is repentance. Repentance can be also defined as stopping, turning around and going the other direction. Repentance can be defined as stopping what we're doing, because what we're doing isn't working. Is that clear to all of us, that there's something in our lives that's not working, but we keep doing it, because we really just don't know what else to do? This evening is our invitation to stop that thing. Because we all do it. We all have those things in our life that aren't working, but we keep doing them anyways. I have those things in my life constantly. When Melissa and I first moved into our house here in Edmond, we moved into Valencia. And as we were moving in, I, for the very first time, got a study. And I was really proud of my study and to get to put things up on the walls and to put my books on the bookshelf. We had two big, tall bookshelves, and we also have a a -a one-and-a-half-year-old daughter. And so With these bookshelves, my wife went and bought anchors to hold the bookshelf to the wall to keep them from toppling over if Anna were to climb on these shelves. So my job as we were moving in was to install these anchors on top of the bookshelf. Melissa handed me the packages, said, here you go, and left me in the study to kind of fend for myself. I had my new electric drill, and I had these anchors in my other hand, and of course, the the instructions sat in front of me, and as any good husband, I crumbled those up and threw them away, right? And so I installed the anchors. I put uh, a brace in the wall that took three screws, and then I put a brace in the top of the bookshelf, put the strap in between them, tightened the strap, installed them on the other bookshelf, and then invited Melissa to come in and look at my handiwork. I was so proud of myself, I didn't even need to look at the instructions, Melissa came in, looked at him for about a second, and then made a face and said, you put him in wrong. Oh, oh, oh okay. And, and, and I was just kind of embarrassed, and so I, I, I quickly sent her back out and said, oh, yeah, well, I know. And so I pulled the, pulled the brackets out of the wall and, and, and put them back in. Um, for those of you keeping count, that's six new holes I've put in my wall already, and, and so I, I pulled the, the braces out and put them back in, put the strap in again, and, and tightened them up, invited Melissa to come in again, and thought, well, you know, uh, one out of two isn't bad, right? And so I invited Melissa to come in again, and she, and she walked in, and she looked at him for less than a second this time, made that same face, and said, you've put them in upside down. That's 12 holes in the wall of the house that we've been in about a week. It wasn't working but I kept doing it. I finally pulled the the brackets out of the wall, tried to, to cover up these 12 holes that I've already made in the wall and put the brackets in the right way, but it wasn't working. What I was doing wasn't working. Tonight is our invitation to stop that thing. I don't know what it is in your life. Maybe it's something to do with your children or with your marriage or or maybe it's an addiction, or something with your work, or whatever it is, tonight is our invitation to stop that thing, to stop, to turn around, and to go the other way. Tonight is our invitation to change. The question is, change what? Well, to understand that, we have to go back to the book of Luke, what we read just a little while earlier. It's the story of Zacchaeus, And if you've grown up in the church, like myself, you've heard the song about Zacchaeus, and we can almost kind of repeat the story without even having to read the scripture. But when we do that, we miss a lot of key points, right? All of us know the story. All of us know Zacchaeus is in the crowd, and he wants to see Jesus, but he can't because the Bible says that he's short. And so he goes up ahead, he climbs up a tree, and there he sees Jesus, and Jesus sees him. And Jesus says, for him to come down the tree, for he's going to his house. And then Zacchaeus and Jesus go to their house and they have a good time. That's the story that we know, but we miss so many important things when we just breeze by it that way. The gospel writer of Luke tells us that Zacchaeus is short in stature. But why? Why Zacchaeus? Luke doesn't describe anybody else in this way except for this man, He was short in stature. Why do we read about him in this way? Well, maybe it defined who Zacchaeus was. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. And tax collectors at this time were hated mainly for two reasons. One reason was because they were notorious for adding extra fees on the taxes and then taking those extra fees for themselves. They were notorious for cheating people out of their money. Luke tells us that Zacchaeus is rich meaning that his job is cheating people and he's really good at his job. In fact, he supervises all the other people who cheat others out of their money. As far as cheating people goes, he's gotten a promotion that this is who Zacchaeus is. So tax collectors were hated for cheating people out of their money, but they were also hated because they represented Rome. They were collecting taxes for the Roman government. And Rome was listed under a laundry list of occupying forces for the Jewish people. Rome is listed under Babylon, is listed under Assyria, is listed under Egypt, that Rome was hated, and so was anybody else who represented them. So why would anybody want this job? Why would anybody want this job where you were so hated for what you did? Well, maybe it had something to do with the fact that Zacchaeus was short. Well, I I know it's kind of a stretch, but Why else would Luke tell us that he's short in stature? Maybe this was the very defining thing about who he was. That maybe all growing up, he was bullied and ridiculed by the other kids. That maybe he could never leave this fact behind that he was short, that, that maybe it followed him everywhere that he went. Maybe he sat inside as a child listening to the other children play outside, and he couldn't go out there because he knew that he would be made fun of. That as he thought about his future, he thought the only thing that he would be able to do is to repay these people for what they've done to me. That maybe as he went throughout his day collecting the money from the people and cheating them out of their hard-earned money, maybe as he went throughout his day cheating these people that he thought maybe they deserved it. Luke tells us that this man was short in stature. And that he can't see over the crowd. And so he runs up ahead and he climbs up a sycamore tree just so he can see the Christ. And and Jesus passes by and there he sees him. Now, I don't know anything about the landscape of Jericho where, where Jesus is walking through. I don't know anything about how many people were gathered around at that time. But I wonder if there were so many people that Zacchaeus couldn't see through them that If this was a much larger crowd than we at first think, that maybe it would have been harder to spot Zacchaeus in that tree. That I wonder, maybe, just maybe, if Jesus was looking for Zacchaeus. Jesus tells us that at the end of this scripture, that he is there to seek out and save the lost. Maybe he was seeking out Zacchaeus. That maybe he had heard of this man that he had heard of this tax collector who, who was a chief tax collector who was cheating people out of their money. Maybe he had heard of this man who needed grace more than anyone. And that when he saw him in that tree, he had been scanning the crowd for some time. Now, maybe when he saw him in that tree, he smiled as he pointed at him and said, Zacchaeus, there you are. Jesus tells Zacchaeus to come down out of the tree Because he's going to his house. Zacchaeus is so changed by these words. That he tells Jesus, Lord, half of my possessions I I give to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of their money, I'll give them back four times as much. And Jesus says, Today, salvation is has come to this house for the son of man came to seek out and to save the lost this is such an amazing passage and we lose so much of it we just sing the nursery rhyme and just move on and and this passage tells us so much about repentance about changing about stopping what we're doing and going the other way What this tells us is that feeling guilty is not the same thing as repentance. Feeling guilty is not the same thing as repentance. That I wonder if, as Zacchaeus went throughout his day, as he went about collecting taxes for the Roman government, as he went taking that extra off the top, as he he went throughout his day, if he ever felt guilty about it, I'm sure there was some small part in him that knew what he was doing was wrong. I'm I'm sure there was some facet somewhere back deep in his mind that he knew what he was doing was wrong. I'm sure he felt guilty about it. But it wasn't until Christ found him, until he pointed him out, that he said, Lord, half my possessions I give to the poor. If I've wronged anyone, I'll give them back four times as much. That it wasn't just being made right with God that, that made Zacchaeus repent, it was being made right with others. That we as Christians practice two faiths. Faith in God and faith in people. That we are called to not only repent to God, but repent to our brothers and our sisters. That many times when we carry this guilt with us, whenever we carry those anxious pains, those pits in our stomach, many times when we carry those things, then we pray to God that that God would take those things away, and, and then it doesn't. Maybe that's because we need to seek forgiveness And our brothers and our sisters. That many times this is the facet that gets left out of repentance. Jesus says it this way in the book of Matthew chapter 5. So when you are offering your gift at the altar. If you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister. And then come and offer your gift. That Jesus puts reconciliation with one another above offering a gift, a sacrifice at the altar. That Jesus puts this thing as primary, that that if you're worshiping alongside somebody that that you have a problem with, you need to go make that problem right, that you need to go reconcile with that brother or sister, that this is the totality of repentance, that before Zacchaeus could have Jesus in his house, that he knew he had to be made right with one another, that he knew he had to do this thing to give this money back because he had made it in the wrong way. That, that is repentance. As our invitation today is to stop, to go the other way, I would invite you to consider those that we need to be made right with. I want to invite you to make that right because it will make a world of difference. The other thing that this passage tells us is that repentance is hard. That stopping and going the other direction takes everything we have. Members of Alcoholics Anonymous or any other anonymous group know that the first rule of AA is to give yourself up to a higher authority. You can call it God, you can call it whatever it is, but you first have to admit the fact that you are powerless in front of your addiction, that you are powerless powerless to simply white-knuckle this thing, to do it on your own, that you need a higher power, that that's what we're called to do in light of repentance, that as we consider to stop, to go the other way, that we are called to know that there's a higher power. And luckily, it's not us. John Ortberg writes that it is impossible for any human being to come to God that does not involve surrender, that in repentance, in giving up of ourselves to God, that we are called to simply surrender, that this repentance thing is going to be hard and it's going to take everything that we have, but luckily we have a God who loves us, who welcomes us with open and loving arms. That's the only thing that makes repentance possible. The passage we read was out of Luke chapter 19. In Luke chapter 18, there's another story that happens where a rich man comes to Jesus. And I think these stories are so interesting. They're they're so close to one another and they have completely different reactions. Let's read this passage out of of Luke chapter 18. That when, when Jesus is approached by a rich ruler and the man says, Jesus, how do I come into the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. You know to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And the rich ruler gets to kind of beef up at this point and puff out his chest and say, yes, Lord, I've done all of those things. And when Jesus hears this, he says, there's still one thing lacking. Sell all that you own and distribute the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But when the rich man heard this, he became sad, for he was very rich. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is much easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who was rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible for mortals is possible for God. That when the rich ruler came to Jesus, when he wanted to be saved, Jesus told him to give up everything that he had. And the rich man considered that impossible, for that is exactly what it was. But when Jesus points out Zacchaeus, when he finds him out in the crowd, Zacchaeus does the impossible. He gives up everything he has that he might be made right with God. He did the impossible only because Christ himself had pointed him out, said, there you are, and said, I'm coming to your house today. This is the act of repentance. This is what it means to be made right with God. That this act is impossible without the love and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are so thankful for that. When I was... uh, young, I, I attended um, the small United Methodist Church of Coweta. And there we had a small youth group, just about five of us, and we'd gather on Sunday nights and we'd play games and, and do all those things. But I had a friend who was a member of a much larger church, actually what gets called a megachurch, and they had a youth gathering that met on Wednesday nights. And since that didn't conflict with uh, my church duties, my parents let me go with my friend. And so we would go to this big youth gathering every Wednesday night, and and this was a little different than, than my church. And so we'd go and we'd hear this band, and, and, and they had electric guitars. I'd never seen that in worship before. It was so different and new. And they had a young hip preacher, and, and he would come up, and he would talk and give these awesome messages. And then at the end of every night, at the end of every worship, he would invite us to do something. He would tell us all to bow our heads, to close our eyes, and And then he would invite us, if we had never made a profession of faith before, to to make that profession. He would guide us in what's called the sinner's prayer, that we would invite Jesus to live in our lives, that that when others look at us, they wouldn't see us, but they would see Christ living in us, that for the first time, we would hand over our lives to Jesus. And he would invite all of us to this, whether we were Christian, whether we were non-Christian, whether we had strayed from the path, he would invite all of us to this thing. And then after he had led this prayer, uh, he would have us all look up and he would say, if you've prayed that prayer now, I want you to stand up and come forward. And so those people would, and, and they would come down and everybody would applaud. And, and then they'd go off to a room to talk to people about the profession that they had just made. This whole thing is called an altar call. I had seen this done week after week. And, and sometimes I would see the same person go up week after week after week, and 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 this was an awesome event. People were giving their lives to Christ, and, and that should not be belittled. But as I watched this week after week, I always thought there was something different about it. There was something kind of strange about this event. It wasn't later till I learned about the invention of this altar call that I really grasped the meaning of repentance. Charles Finney is an evangelist that lived in the 1800s and he went all over the United States preaching and, and, and he was renowned for his preaching. He would, he would preach awesome sermons and, and thousands of people would gather and, and they would all listen to him preach. And after he got done preaching, they were so excited to give their lives to God that they, they wanted to do it immediately. But there was also something different about Charles Finney. Charles Finney was the leader of the abolitionist movement he worked tirelessly, not only to win souls for Jesus Christ, but to win souls to abolish slavery. That he believed that every person was made equal in the sight of God, that every person should be treated as such, and that because of this belief, we should abolish slavery. Charles Finney, around 1836, first invited people to an altar call. That at the end of each sermon that he gave, he would start inviting people to come up to give their lives to Christ, And when they gave their life to Christ, he would hand them a document with a signature line at the bottom that this document stated that they agreed to abolish slavery, that they would spend their lives now working to do this very thing, that as people knelt at the rails, as they gave their lives to Christ, they knew the next morning their name would be listed in the paper under a heading that read, these people have given their lives to Christ and so agreed to abolish slavery. That as they gave their life to Christ, they know that was no small thing. That their giving of their lives to Christ meant now that the way they acted would be different. That's repentance. Repentance is living like we have already been saved. Notice that when Jesus points out Zacchaeus, when Zacchaeus agrees to give his possessions back to those who need them, that when Zacchaeus does this, Jesus says, salvation has come to your house. How is this possible? How does salvation already reach Zacchaeus? Jesus won't die for another three years, that he won't be crucified for our sins. How does that happen? Because time means nothing to a God who is infinite that salvation had already come to Zacchaeus, that that what Zacchaeus was encouraged to do was to live like he's already been saved. What we are called to do is live like we've already been saved because it's already been done for us 2,000 years ago, that we are called to live like Christ forgave us, like Christ died for us, and then to go out and forgive others in the same way, that that's the kind of action that will truly change the world that if we are to stop now and to go back the other way, to change what we're doing, that we might actually inspire change in others, that we might actually abolish things in this world that are truly appalling, that if we can do the small things in our life to change the things that are within us, maybe we can actually change this world. It's impossible. But it's only possible through the power of Jesus Christ. Throughout the gospel of Luke, Jesus eats. It's amazing how many meals Jesus has in the gospel of Luke. Over and over again, he's eating with the Pharisees. He's eating with tax collectors. Over and over, he does this. And then when he goes to the house of Zacchaeus, people start grumbling and say, he goes to eat in the house of a sinner. And throughout the gospel, Of Luke, Jesus eats with sinners. What I think Jesus loves more than eating is eating with sinners. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. God, we need you. There are things in our life that are not right. There are things in our life that we are doing, Lord, that we don't know what else to do. We pray that you would stop us. That we would have the power now to turn back, to go the other way. Lord, that we might actually be called in this time to invite you into our lives. Maybe for the very first time, maybe for the thousandth time, but whatever it is, Lord, we pray that you would live in us. That we would have the power to do the impossible. Lord, if it's possible, it is only through the power of Jesus Christ. We thank you for him. We thank you for the gift of your son who came and lived and dwelt among us. Who taught us even how to pray. By saying, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread.